As we stand, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, nothing compares with your love for us in the Lord Jesus. Love so amazing, so divine, demands our life, our soul, everything that we have, everything that we are. Father, we pray this morning that in the power of your Spirit, you will speak into our hearts. You will speak your truth, those words of love to us. And stir us up to love you in return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please do sit down. Please would you turn in your Bibles to the passage that Kalini read to us. It's 1 Peter chapter 1 and it's on page 1270. Page 1270. We're starting a series in 1 Peter. And uh, the Connect groups are going to be looking at this as well. And uh, we've had huge problems with our website. It's been hacked. Uh, we're getting a new website up, but we're going to have an interim site up there. And we're going to get these up on podcasts and things. So we'll keep you informed so you'll be able to listen to them online. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Do, do you ever wake up in the morning and think, I'm a follower of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it extraordinary what God has done for me? What it is, what a privilege it is to be a follower of Jesus. Do you ever wake up like that? Or, or do you ever during the day suddenly sense afresh the extraordinary nature of what it means, the extraordinary privilege, the greatness, the wonder of what it means to have been called and drawn into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Look at the language that Peter uses there in verse 1. The language of elect, God's chosen people, sprinkled with his blood. It's Old Testament language that says that we've been made clean. We've been brought into a relationship with God through Christ. There is no one more privileged than a follower of Jesus. Look at verse 3. Do you notice the language that Peter uses in there? He talks about new birth. You have been given new birth, a new life. Everything has changed because of what God has done through us in Jesus Christ. New birth. We're forgiven. We have a relationship with God. He is your Father. He loves you. You have a purpose here in this life. You have a destiny when you leave this life that will go on into eternity as part of God's kingdom ruled over by King Jesus. It's an extraordinary thing to be a follower of Jesus Christ and we should be encouraged by that. It should delight us. It should warm our hearts. But you know, when you become a follower of Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. And there's another side to it. So, so look again at verses 1 and 2, would you? And look at the language that Peter uses there. He talks about being exiles, about being scattered. In chapter 2, he talks about being strangers and aliens. And by the time you get to the end of the letter, so there at the beginning of the letter is that language of displacement. And when you get to the end of the letter, most ominous of all, for those who would have been familiar with their Old Testaments, he uses the word 
Babylon. Babylon is the city of doom. Babylon is the city that signals the end of God's people in the Old Testament. The destruction of Jerusalem. The transportation of people through ethnic cleansing into exile. And he's using that language to speak of the experience of himself, of those Christians from where he is writing, and he's using it to speak to those people who are receiving this letter and therefore to us. What does that mean? Well, right here at the start of this letter, Peter confronts us with what I would judge to be one of the most challenging and confronting issues that every child of God must face. And it's this. That when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you are drawn into that relationship with God, that privileged position, when everything changes, that means everything, and that includes your relationship with Willoughby. And Sydney, and Australia, our communities, and maybe even our families and our friends as well. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are no longer an Australian. Or at least you're no longer an Australian in the way that you were before. It's been changed. You are now one of God's special people, his elect, his chosen people. And we live out our lives in a setting that was once home to us, but has now been changed forever for us. That is what Peter is talking about. I spent three really largely happy years there were some issues of the heart that didn't go too well, typically for me. But I spent three largely happy years at university in a city in the UK. And I remember going back some years later. I still knew one or two people by there. But I went back and everything had changed. Well, actually, very little had changed. The buildings were all the same. The university buildings had been around for quite a long time, so they hadn't altered very much. The streets were still the same. Some of the same shops were there. But it had all changed for me. It was no longer my city, my home, or even my university. It had been changed. When you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a stranger and an alien here in Willoughby. Or if you're really privileged, those of you who live in French's Forest. If you're especially privileged, those of you who live south of the harbour. <laughs> but seriously, everything changes. And I want to encourage you this morning and those of you who are in connect groups to reflect deeply on this. Because I think there is a disconnect of fundamental proportions between what I've just said and what you and I feel. Willoughby does not feel alien to us, does it? It's home, it's pleasant, it's comfortable, it's nice, it's safe, it's friendly. 
And Sydney, Sydney is our city, and Australia, well, we are Australians, it's our country. So how can this language, and it is extreme language, isn't it? It's the kind of language that we would associate with some of those terrible movements of population across Europe and those people who are held offshore in Australia. This extreme language of displacement, of exile, how can that apply to us? I, I, I mean, in any case, why does becoming a follower of Jesus Christ necessitate or bring about such a radical change with Willoughby? Isn't, isn't Willoughby a conducive environment in which to live as a Christian? We can think of it, would, it would be difficult to live as a Christian in Iraq, but to live as a Christian in Willoughby, that's easy, isn't it? In fact, isn't the Willoughby way very similar to the Christian way of living life? So how is it that Peter can use this language? I think we need to reflect very, very deeply on this. And the challenge that Peter has for us, I want to suggest is this. That to the extent that we embrace in our lives the reality of what it is to live as strangers and aliens here in our culture, in our community, to the extent that we embrace that, that will ruffle your life. It will bring an element of turmoil and disruption into all of our lives. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Reflect on this and to recognize the reality, to face up to the fact that when God initiated this new birth in you, he changed your relationship with everything, and that includes Willoughby. And then to ask yourself the question, what does it mean for me to live out this new reality? Ask that question today. Ask it tomorrow. Keep on asking that question every day you live until the day when you meet Jesus Christ face to face. Because you will never get to the end of the need to address that question. What does it mean for me to live out as a stranger, as a foreigner, as an exile in this world. Well, here are three things to help us as we work this through. They're encouraging and they're also challenging for us. God's Word, by the way, sometimes it wounds us, sometimes it disturbs us, but it only ever does that in order to heal us. Do, do, do you get that? So if you ever get disturbed by God's word, and if it is God's word, God speaking to you that brings the disturbance, it is always a good thing. He does it in order to restore us, to move us on, to bring us healing. Let's have a look at these things. Number one, 
Only followers of Jesus are truly alive because only followers of Jesus have experienced the miracle of new birth. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. Life outside of that act of new birth is not life at all. To be truly alive has nothing whatsoever to do with living the Willoughby way. You, you can live the Willoughby way to the fullest extent and in planetary terms, that's wonderful. Willoughby life at its best is about as good as life can get at this time anywhere. So if you can't enjoy yourself in Willoughby, there's not much hope. But even if you enjoy everything that Willoughby has to offer, you might as well be a corpse if you haven't experienced new birth. Which is why what God has done in making us alive, bringing us new birth, is an act of God's mercy. Do you notice the word? By his mercy, he has given us new birth. It is an act of mercy on God's part to change our relationship with Willoughby. Why doesn't it feel like that? Why doesn't Willoughby life feel dead? Why do we not feel the reality of what Peter is saying here? By the way, does that happen to you sometimes? You're reading the Bible and you think, yeah, true, 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 true. Of course it's true, it's in the Bible, and I've been taught it since whenever. True, true. Of course Christians have to believe that. But then ask yourself the question, do you feel it? Do, 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 do you experience that disconnect sometimes? All the time? That's normal. <laughs> That's normal. <laughs> Why is it that Willoughby life doesn't feel dead? Well, look at how Peter continues, because I think there's a huge clue here. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's a massive clue as to the reason why Willoughby life can on the one hand seem so seductive and yet it's life without life. To live life the Willoughby way is to be a walking corpse if you haven't experienced new birth. And here's the reason. See, Willoughby is able to create the illusion of life because it ignores reality. It ignores, in particular, the reality of the future with a capital F. A living hope is what we receive. Living hope. In contrast to dead hopes, Sydney hopes, Willoughby hopes, French's Forest hopes, Narrenburg hopes, Northern Beaches hopes, British hopes, just in case you were wondering. People do have their hopes, don't they? Hopes for the next holiday, hopes for the new relationship, hopes for the extension, hopes for the new house. But they are dead hopes. They have no life in them. They are hopes that are not based on what's really real. By contrast, the Christian has been brought into a living hope. 
It's as alive as Jesus is alive through the resurrection. And it's as real as the resurrection. That's the future. And we experience that living hope now, not just in the future. So look at what Peter says in verse 4. We've been brought in, given birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. By the way, heaven there means not the place you go to when you, you die, but think of it as God's place, his home. And God's home's pretty secure. You know, he doesn't need burglar alarms. who through faith are shielded by God's power now until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Only Christians are truly alive. Do you know that? Do you believe it? Do you feel it? Number two, the future starts now. Christianity is not just about what lies in store for us when we die. The future starts now. We have been given new birth into a living hope now through the resurrection. Now. So in verse 6, he can say of their experiences of various kinds of trials... In all this, you greatly rejoice. Not, you will rejoice when you get to the new creation. Yes, you will, but you rejoice now. Or verse 8, you are filled now with an inexpressible and glorious joy. There is something irrepressibly joyful about true Christian experience. It's about the breaking of joy into our experience. It is in many ways the exact opposite of the experience of living life in Willoughby, which for all its wonderfulness is characterized by anxiety and drivenness. But the Christian is characterized by joy the supernatural generated joy that emerges out of the new birth that God has brought to us. And it's not related to circumstances because they're experiencing trials, aren't they? Of various kinds, to varying degrees. But it has everything to do with the breaking in of the future, that new birth that we experience through the resurrection. The future starts now. Well, how does the future starts now work out? Well, it works out in suffering. Verse 6. For a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, and he will go on later in the letter to talk about the kinds of struggles. It's in varying degrees. Some is greater, some is lesser. 
The suffering that he's talking about, by the way, is the suffering that comes from being a stranger and an alien, not the kind of sufferings that everybody suffers. This isn't about the problems that we have with our aches and pains. It isn't the problems that we have about illness. It isn't the problems we have about disappointments in love, necessarily. This is because they are living as strangers and aliens. And because they are living that out, it has led to various degrees of grief. If we embrace the call to follow Jesus Christ, there will be a cost. There really will. But that suffering, Peter says, has a purpose. It's achieving something. Verse 7, these various trials that have caused grief come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire so you can do the best you can with gold to make it as pure as possible but one day it will fade away even gold doesn't last may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed what does that mean what does it mean Think of it like this. As you're seeking to live out your life in faithfulness to Christ, in obedience to Him, notice verse 1 talks about we are sprinkled for obedience. We're made God's people in order to live lives of obedience. As we do that, in other words, as we resist the lure of Willoughby and put Christ before everything else, then we will as we experience the consequences of being aliens and strangers, we witness to Jesus that our lives belong to him, that he's more important to us than anything else. And in doing that, of course, we provide by our lives a critique of life in Willoughby because we are not living the Willoughby way. We are living Christ's way and whatever that means for us in our society. And in doing that, we witness to Christ. And do you know... It is very, very unlikely that you will get the Order of Australia for doing that. Why? Because if you're living Christ's way, you are living a life that is a critique of the culture in which we live. That's why. And so it won't bring about praise or recognition or confer honor on us here, but... Peter says, when Christ is revealed, on that day when Jesus returns, when we're welcomed into his presence, on that day, God will give his commendation on our lives. He will deliver his word of praise and glory and honor on us. And so as we live out our lives now, as we're seeking to follow Christ, living as strangers and aliens as exiles. That is achieving something. And one day, we will get the word of affirmation from God himself. And frankly, that's even better than a word from the queen. The future is present in our sufferings. It's also present. It's a work in our love. We love Jesus now. Verse 8. Peter says, we haven't seen him yet, but we love him. We've heard about him, but, but we haven't seen him. And even though we haven't seen him, we love him. And we trust him. We believe in him. That is, we trust him, even though 
We still don't see him yet. You know the heart of what it means to be a Christian? The very core. The thing that motivates, the thing that inspires, the thing that keeps us going, the thing that directs us. It's love for Jesus. That's at the heart. To be a Christian is to be in a love affair with Jesus Christ. Yes, there are words of obedience and there are words of following. There are words of cost. But at the heart of what it means is love. And in fact, if we try to live the Christian life without that as the center, we're going to run into problems. The heart of it is love. We experience that now. Love for Jesus. Future is present in sufferings, it's present in our current experience of love. And it's present because we are now in this life receiving salvation. Verse 9, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of, us, of your souls. I think we tend to talk about salvation in two ways, don't we? We talk about, I have been saved. Jesus died for me on the cross, so I am saved. Or we may talk about the future. One day when we meet Jesus face to face, we will be delivered from judgment then. But there is another dimension to it, and that is that God is at work in the arena of your lives and mine. Saving us, restoring us, bringing wholeness to us, changing us. And he's saving all of us. Souls. You, you remember that thing, SOS? Save our souls. You're in the water, you're drowning, you send out an SOS. What does that mean? It means take my body with me as well, doesn't it? Don't just take my spirit. I don't care about this physical stuff. It means exactly the same here. It's talking about all of us. It's not just the spiritual bit. He's saving you and me. We looked at two big chunks. Only Christians are truly alive. Secondly, the future starts now in those ways that I've just talked about. Lastly, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are truly special. In Peter's day, it was a great privilege to be a Roman citizen. It conferred all kinds of benefits. You could say, I'm a citizen. Peter's readers are experiencing alienation. By contrast. And what about us? You know, I quite like living in Willoughby. There are lots of advantages. It was great to be able to say, when people ask me, where do you live? And I say, I live in Willoughby. I feel better. Sometimes. 
There are huge privileges, aren't there, to be living in Willoughby. People aspire to live in Willoughby or even Narrenburn or possibly Roseville. You know what I mean. But nothing, nothing can compare with being the recipient of God's salvation. We're God's elect. We're chosen. We're special. We're the result of the work of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We've been given new birth. And Peter says here at the end of this passage that we're looking at that actually... We are the most privileged people in all of history because we experience the climax of all that God has been doing in history. Have a look at verse 10, please. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. The glories that would follow include, in fact, probably largely refer to people hearing the gospel and coming to Christ. It's a glorious thing to come to Christ. It was revealed, verse 12, to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. History reaches its climax in the salvation that comes to, through Christ and therefore we are the most privileged people in all of history. We're more privileged than the prophets. More privileged than the people of the Old Testament. And we are even more privileged than the angels. Look at the end of that section in verse 12. Even angels long to look into these things. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're more special than the angels. It's an amazing thing to be a follower of Jesus. Do you wake up in the morning and think, I'm a follower of Jesus because of what God has done for me. He's given me new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Only Christians are truly alive. Future starts now, and you are truly special. Let me draw this together. Number one, recognize the reality. Face up to the fact you are a stranger and an alien in Sydney, in our culture. Number two, Embrace the implications. Work out what it means for you to live as a stranger and an alien, for you to do it. And then do it. And keep asking the question. And three, experience the joy. Experience the joy. Over the years, I've met some very impressive Christians. Impressive in terms of levels of obedience and so on. I don't always meet Christians who are characterized by joy. Here's 
here's a principle for you to think about. The more you embrace this new life in Christ, the greater the joy. The more you try to live life the Willoughby way, the less the joy. But the motivation needs to be love. You do it out of love. You embrace the way of Christ out of love. If you don't, you may find yourself feeling resentful about the demands that Jesus makes on your life. If you don't do it out of love, your life may be characterized by a drivenness, trying to fit everything in, trying to do enough. If you don't do it out of love, there may be a soullessness, an emptiness, a mechanical sense about your Christian obedience. And you may not survive because you compromise so deeply. You become indistinguishable from the culture around. The heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be in love with Jesus. That's the heart of it. That's the motivator of obedience. That's the thing that is to direct us. That is the thing that will fill us with this inexpressible and glorious joy that Jesus loves me and I love him in return. Let's pray. Father, We want to praise you because in your great mercy you've given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Father, we long, or we pray that we might long, to experience more and more of that, of that living hope, of what it means to live out as strangers and aliens and yet live with this inexpressible and glorious joy. And Father, that we may live lives that are driven out of love, that come out of our love for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.